Thanks for tuning in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jennifer Akers, the Associate Worship Arts Pastor here at Rolling Hills Community Church. We're continuing in our series, One Voice, with today's sermon teaching from Matthew 22, and we'll be looking at our first four core values here at Rolling Hills. Love, reach, grow, and minister, and what those mean for our lives as believers. Well, good morning, church family. It is so good to be here with you all. Um, My name is Kelly Minter, and um, I've been part of Rolling Hills for the last several years, and I've been part of this campus since the beginning, but the beginning was over at Belmont Heights, and then there was COVID, and then we were in masks, and we merged with Park Avenue here, and so I know that there are so many of you that I haven't had a chance to meet, um, or maybe we've met, but you've only seen just my eyes, and so anyway, I'm really happy to be here with you all today, and I'm happy to be talking about the whole concept of reaching out, giving all. We are a church that wants to be about the love of God. And so we're going to be in a text this morning that might be very familiar to many of you. And so if it is familiar, I I hope that we're going to see some new things. If it's not familiar, I'm thrilled because this is really the, the core of Jesus' message. And so if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, if you have your Bibles here, with you or your devices, it will also be up on the screen. But I wanna go ahead and just read this text this morning because we have so much to cover and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it. So this is Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, and we're really going to be just looking at a few verses and then we're gonna kinda tangent off of them. But we're gonna begin with verse 34. It says this, Matthew writes this, when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they came together, and one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor, as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I know that nothing in this room, um, not one heart, can be touched or changed um, outside of the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we ask that today, In this moment, Lord, in this space, in this hour, God, that you would touch each one of our hearts and that you would just spring our hearts to life, Lord, convict us, encourage us, comfort us. Uh, Lord, lift our eyes towards you and toward others, and we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this, this text is, was actually quite familiar to me. I grew up in, right outside of Washington, D.C. Um, as a pastor's kid. So my mom and dad started a church, uh, tw- I don't know, 46, 47 years ago. And my dad is still teaching there. He's um, almost 77. And so I grew up knowing a text like this. I knew about Jesus saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I even knew the part that says that all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So I knew this. But it wasn't until this week that I was getting prepared to teach this that I saw something that I had never seen before. I noticed something I had never noticed before. And it was the context in which this uh, account happened. 
If you had said to me last week or two weeks ago before I started prepping for this, if you had said, okay, Kelly, quick, what was the context when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself, what was the context, what was it? I would have had no idea. And as many times as I've read it, I would have had no idea. Maybe if you gave me multiple choice, okay, I'll, if you, maybe if you gave me multiple choice, I might have gotten there. But I, I didn't recognize that it was actually a Pharisee, a religious leader, who was trying to test Jesus, who was trying to discredit him in front of everyone, who came up and asked this question. I did not realize that this response that Jesus gave that is really the crux of our entire Christian faith, I didn't realize that it came to us via someone who was trying to discredit him, somebody who was trying to stump him. I, you know, you would have thought something this important would have happened, maybe, you know, maybe uh, Peter and John are in the boat with Jesus. And, and, and they just have this quiet moment, and they say, hey, Jesus, if, if you could just sum up, if you could kind of sum up the whole thing, the, all of Moses' law, like, how would you sum it up? And then we would maybe expect Jesus to say what he said here in Matthew 22. Or maybe we would have thought that the upper room, wouldn't that have been a good place right before Jesus goes to the cross, that we would have thought, the upper room, they're, they're breaking bread, they're, they're having communion, and Jesus says, all right, look, disciples, Believers, followers, I'm about to leave you, and I'm going to sum it all up for you. I'm, going to, I'm just going to give it all to you. If you really want to know what it's all about, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's what it's all about. But it doesn't come to us in, this con in that context. It's, it's, in fact, he's, the disciples are there, and it's for the disciples for sure, but he's not even responding to disciples. He's responding to the religious leaders of the day who wanted to get rid of him, who wanted to discredit him. And the reason that they wanted to is because Jesus was coming, and he was messing with everything that they understood about their religious law and the law of Moses. They had their way of how they do things. And it was really upsetting to them that Jesus was saying unbelievable things like, hey, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. It was really upsetting that he was able to very quickly say what the most important law was and why. This was disrupting everything about their way. In fact, last night I was watching um, a, a Netflix thing because nobody's been watching Netflix over COVID. And so I was watching Chef's Table and I'm about seven years late to the party, but there was a, there was a, this guy that ends, ended up having one of the best restaurants in all of the world. And he was this Italian guy. And everybody, when he first started his restaurant, none of the Italians liked him. In fact, he almost didn't get off the ground because he was messing with all of the normal tradition of Italian food. He was messing with, you know, your grandmother's pasta and tortellini and all of that, and he was trying to reinvent it and reimagine it, and the Italians were flipped about it because he was messing with the tradition. And, and, and that is similar to why the religious leaders were so angry against Jesus because he was coming and he was doing something different with their law and with the prophets. And so as I began to think about, does it matter how this came to us? Does it matter the context? Does it matter that it was a Pharisee that got this out of Jesus? And as I began to think about it, I thought, yes, it does matter. And, and here's why I think it matters, because it tells me that, that as a religious leader who knew this much of the Bible, 
backwards and forward, the law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, it tells me that you could be a religious leader and you could know the scriptures backward and forward and you could miss everything that it's about. You could know the scriptures better than I will ever, ever, ever know them and you can miss what they are about and you can miss who they are about. And that really stuck with me this week. That really rattled me on some level because I thought, well, if a religious leader who knows it all didn't understand what it was all about and didn't understand Jesus for who Jesus is, then is it possible that you and I could know this and quote it and and be able to memorize it and, and know all the things and having gone to the Bible studies and filled in the blanks and be at church on Sunday morning and miss what it's all about. And I think it's very possible to do because we see it happening right here. So this Pharisee thinks that he is going to um, throw Jesus off. Now, why would he throw Jesus off by asking him what's the most important law? Well, or the most important command. Well, we know that there are 10 commandments, the law of Moses, 10 commandments in the Old Testament, and that's what we normally think when we think of the law, don't we? We go to those 10. But I don't know if you're aware of this, but there were another 603 laws in the Old Testament. So the Jews had 613 laws that they had to keep up with. Now, I grew up in private Um, Christian school, and it wasn't like the good kind of private Christian schools that we have here today in Nashville. Mine was super, super legalistic, and I feel like we might have had 613 laws, because I was breaking ones that I didn't even know existed half the time. I was getting demerits for stuff that I didn't even know even was a thing, and so here they had 613 laws, and the Jews themselves, the, the higher teachers in the law, they would have these discussions about, well, what do you think is the most important? What do you think is a heavier weight law? I mean, obviously, do not murder has got to be a little bit more than like, if you have leprosy, don't go into the temple. I mean, there's got to have a, a, a little bit of weightiness to these laws. And so they knew, they knew that if they asked Jesus the most important law, no matter what answer he gave, they knew that there would be 612 other reasons that they could say, well, have you thought about number 42, though? I love Jesus that you think it's number seven, but what about 46? What about that? And so they knew that that no matter how he answered that they were gonna be able to throw him off, but he very quickly answers. And he, I mean, just right away, oh, you wanna know what the first one is? Oh, easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Well, interesting, Jesus does not choose one of the 10 commandments. Do you know that this is not one of the 10? This comes from Deuteronomy chapter six. And because I love the Old Testament and because I want you to see the context of this, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter six because this is where Jesus pulls from. In fact, in your Bible, you'll probably see that this is bolded or quoted or something because it shows you that Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament here. He is quoting from the law and he goes to Deuteronomy chapter six and I just wanna read a few of these verses. But before I read them, I want to give you the context, okay? Here's the context. The Israelites have wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. They've gotten out of Egypt. They've wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. They are on the brink of entering the promised land. And Deuteronomy is Moses rehearsing the original 
commands that God had given to his people on Mount Sinai after they got out of Egypt. And all of this context is really important because this is, this is the context in which Jesus gives this message. And so the Israelites are about to go into uh, the, the promised land. They're about to cross over the Jordan River. And Jesus, um, excuse me, God, Mo, through Moses, says in verse 4 of chapter 6, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today, you are to be, or are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. This uh, passage, this verse 4 and, and 5 is the Shema what the Jewish people referred to as the Shema, and they had it memorized because the Lord our God is one. He is one God, and we are to love him with everything that we have. Do you notice that he says, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind? So basically he's saying everything about our whole being is to be about the Lord, is to love the Lord. And I know a lot of times we think in the Old Testament, we think, oh, well, the Old Testament was all about rules, it was all about regulations, it was all about the law and God's wrath, and then we get to the New Testament and we get to Jesus and we get to love and grace and mercy. And No, 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 the Old Testament, look what it says here. It says these words are that I'm giving to you today are to be in your heart, verse 6, in your heart. Um, see, it's, it's always been, we'll get to this later, but it's always been about the heart. It's always been about the heart. Even in the Old Testament, it's always been about love. This is not new. Jesus is, is, is saying something that's quite old, but he says this is the most important. You can go back to Matthew 22. So my question is, if Jesus says this is first and foremost above everything, my question is, is what does it mean to love the Lord? Um, this is really up for grabs today. And what does it mean to love Jesus? We have all types of people, uh, especially in our culture right now, that, that say they love Jesus or they're, they're, they're commandeering the name of Jesus and they're slapping it on their belief systems or they're slapping it on whatever it is that is really, really important to them and they're saying, hey, by the way, this is also important to Jesus. Well, he might be, but it might not be. And we kind of have this idea in our culture that we can love Jesus and say we love Jesus, but then live however we want to live. And that's actually not what it means to love the Lord your God with all your soul, strength, and mind. So what does it mean to love Jesus? Uh, I'm going to read to you from John chapter 14. John 14, verses 15 and 21. And this is what Jesus says. Out of John 14, fortunately, he gives it to us really, really straight. Verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. And then... In verse 21, he says, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. I also will love him and will re reveal myself to him. So it's really, really clear. Jesus lays it out for us really clear that if you are going to love God, you will obey him. You will be about the things that he is about. That means your sexuality, that means your morals, that means how you treat people, that means what you do with your time, that means what you do with your thoughts. Everything about your life will be about what he thinks. 
And so that's something that I'm seeing so much of in culture right now is people, and I fall into this trap myself, but we say we love Jesus, but then we just go do what we want to do. And so I want to show us this morning that number one for us is that in your notes is that loving God wholeheartedly means obeying his commands. It's impossible to love God and not do what he says. It's impossible to love God and not do what he says. And this has probably been the biggest challenge for me. Uh, especially uh, when I was in my 20s and I was just had vision for all the things that I wanted to do and all the things that I wanted to be. And there were so many different times where God, what is important to God was not important to me. And the things that God was telling me to do based on my, you know, everything, my, my, my career, um, you know, my, my friendships, my relationships, uh, all, all of it, there were so many times where what God commanded was not what I wanted. I don't know if I'm the only person in the room. And there were those times where I'm like, Lord, I, I know that this is what you say that I'm supposed to do with, with, with my, my life as a single person, or I know that this is, this is what I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to trust you in this area, or I know I'm supposed to give in this area. I know I'm supposed to obey you in this, but the problem is, is I don't want to. And then there were those words from 1 John and from John, Kelly, if you love me, the, the way that you will show me that you love me is by doing the things that are important to me, that are important to my heart. And I'm so thankful, I'm so thankful all these years later that those times that by God's grace I was able to be obedient to him and show him that I loved him through my obedience, I'm so thankful because you know what? He actually knew what he was talking about. Imagine that. And he's good and his ways are good. And I'm so, so thankful um, that obedience is not just this rote duty, but it is the way that we show him that we love him. It is so relational. This is not the Lord browbeating us. This is saying, if you love me, you're going to be about the things that I'm about. And that is beautiful and that is exciting. But obedience is very significant. Now, you might even be thinking, hey, listen, I'm kind of new to this. I'm new to the faith. I'm new to Christianity. What does it mean? What, what are God's commands? What are the Lord's commands? What is important to the heart of Jesus? I would encourage you today, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Just go back a few chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That is what is often referred to as the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. And it is Jesus speaking to a whole bunch of people and telling them what's important to him and, and how to trust him and, and how not to worry. And there's so much in it, but just get into the scriptures and you will quickly find out what it means to obey God and therefore what it means to love God. So that's what Jesus lays out. But then he, he, says, he says, this is the greatest and most important command. But then he, in verse 39, he says, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I don't know if you uh, recognized it, but um, the, the uh, Pharisees, they actually didn't ask him for two. He just said, give a, just, give us, just give us one. But Jesus is actually the author of all of it, so he can give two if he wants to give two. He can give three if he wants to give three. And he actually fuses two commands together, and he's the only one that we know of who has done this. 
And so now, he says, not only are you going to love God, but, but if you really want to know what all of this is about, you will love your neighbor, you will love others as you love yourself. Now again, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament. But remember, we've got this in our Bibles, we've got this whole Torah, the whole first five books of the Old Testament, it's about this thick, and Jesus picked out the one Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God, and now he's turning to Leviticus chapter 19. And I want us to go there because again, I want us to see the original context that Jesus was quoting from. So here's Leviticus chapter 19, and I actually want to read verses 9 through 18 um, because I just have this funny feeling that nobody was in Leviticus this morning for their quiet time. So Leviticus 19, starting at verse 9, says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes, Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. I am the Lord your God. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, listen, th these are some of the laws here. If, you, if you've got a big land and you've got all kinds of grapes and olives and all that stuff, don't harvest all of it. L leave some of it for, for the foreigner and for the poor. So we see the heart of God already. Verse 11, do not steal. Do not act deceptively or lie to one another. Do not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Verse 13, do not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages due a hired worker must not remain with you until morning. So in other words, if you, if, if you have someone working for you and they've done a good job and you owe them the money, don't, don't keep it overnight. Pay. I mean, this is all Old Testament. Do you know how ahead of its time this was? We take this for granted, but this is unbelievable. God is telling his people, don't lie to one another. Look after the poor. Don't withhold wages from, from those who are owed it. Do you, can you imagine how much better our society would be if we paid attention to even any of this? Look at 14. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but you are to fear your God. I am the Lord. Help those who need it. Do not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. I mean, can we stop there for a minute? Do, how often do I exalt the popular or the wealthy or the famous over the poor? Um, th this is just so natural to us, and yet the Lord God, all the way back in Leviticus, says, no, don't do that. Verse 16, do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community. Oh, here we go. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Verse 33, when an alien resides or a foreigner resides with you in your land, you must not oppress him. You will regard the foreigner who resides with you as a native born among you. You will love basically the outsider as yourself. You are to love him as yourself for I or for you were aliens in the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. Do you see right there in Leviticus 19? Love your neighbor as yourself. But I wanted you to see the context because I wanted to remind us, and I wanted to be reminded myself of what it means to love others. It means that we're not going to harbor hatred in our hearts toward people. Why would we harbor hatred in our hearts toward people? Because people have wronged us. And yet, 
Jesus says, no, that's, that's not the way. In fact, this is the second most important command, that we would love others, we would not harbor hatred, that we would forgive, that we would look out for the blind and the deaf, that we would not judge impartially, that we would tell the truth, that we would welcome the foreigner and the outsider. Do you see, we could have kept going. I, I just didn't wanna give you too much Leviticus this morning, but there was, there's a lot that comes before it and a lot that comes after it. There's very specific ways that we are to love one another. And we see number two today, that loving God wholeheartedly means loving others regardless of how we feel. And, and that's, that's another thing, um, you know, in our culture, when I, if I say the word love to you and what it means to love others, what do we normally think of? We normally think of, we might think of romance or, you know, we think about love in our culture where you, where you, you, you find someone who completes you or just, they just make you feel so alive. Um, you know, all the romantic um, Um, movies that we watch, it's really all about what we receive from that other person, what that other person can do for us, what that other person can give us. But the word love in scripture and when you love others, it's much, much more sacrificial. It's about the other person. It's about laying our life down for the other person. It's about forgiveness. It's about esteeming. It's about um, not harboring hatred. It's about telling the truth. It's about not gossiping. And those aren't the buzzwords that come to our mind when we think of the word love, especially when it comes to loving others. But it's really so much about sacrifice. Now, why does Jesus say that the second is like the first? Why does he merge Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19 together? It's brilliant. Well, I, I believe it's, it's because God loves people, and so if we are to love God with everything that we have and everything that we are, and if God loves people, then automatically loving God means that we will love people because people are important to him. So just like it's impossible to say that we love God but not keep his commands, it's also impossible to say that we love God and not love others. In some ways, um, this is just absolutely incredible because Jesus has distilled the entire Torah, the entire five books of the Old Testament into this tiny little phrase, love God, love others. And, and honestly, if we can just remember those two, we kind of automatically are gonna get the other 613. Because all of those laws, everything about it is about loving God and loving others. And yet, this Pharisee knew the law intricately. He knew all the details, and he, he didn't know, or he had missed what was most important. And I think sometimes, it's so much easier to just know the scripture and to sit in Bible study, which I love, and which is so, so, so important and so vital, but it's easier to show up to church than it is to just do the two things. Because this is actually so hard. This is so difficult to love God with everything that we have and to love others. This requires everything of us, and it's actually quite impossible. It's impossible. I mean, I don't know if you're like this, but I can have the best quiet time with the Lord and just feel so spiritual and walk out of my house or get on the phone and somebody can make me mad like that. 
and I can react or I can be tempted to, to, to gossip or I can get proud or I can start judging. And it's like, what happened? I was just studying the scripture. It's because I forgot. I missed what it's all about. Loving God, loving others. Well, Jesus says something else in Matthew 22, verse 40, and it's just so brilliant. But he says, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. The literal translation is hang on these two commands. So not just the law. That's actually all the Pharisee was asking. He was just asking about, hey, what's the most important out of the law? But Jesus goes ahead and just throws in the prophets as well. Now, maybe you haven't done a study of the prophets of the Old Testament. I got to take a whole class last summer on the uh, prophets of Israel, and it was dizzying. I mean, I just, it was unbelievable. It was awesome, but it was also like, wow, I didn't know all of that was in there. But if you were to go back and you were to look at the prophets like Hosea or Jeremiah or Isaiah or Amos, any of the warnings or the blessings that they talked about, They said, if you obey the Lord, these good things are going to happen. But if you disobey, these bad things are going to happen. Everything that the prophets talked about, all of it, Jesus says, it even the prophets, it can all be boiled down to love God, love others. So it's not just even the rules and the law. It's the whole story. The whole entire Old Testament, basically, Jesus is saying, as a whole entire book, if you were to think of it as a door, he says the whole thing hangs on just those two hinges. And in some ways, we think, wow, that's, thank you for distilling it for us. How easy. I mean, Lord, this is awesome. You just got rid of 613, and now all we just have to remember is two. Until we realize that it's the hardest thing in the world. (laughs) Until we realize that it's just absolutely impossible. But of course, it's it's not impossible without Christ. And the last text that I want to read for you today is out of John 5, 39 and 40. And Jesus, again, um, I believe he's speaking to the religious leaders here, but he says, you pour over the scriptures. You pour over the whole Old Testament because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Jesus, the whole thing testifies about Jesus. And in Jesus Christ, we have life. And in Jesus Christ, we learn and we get to have the grace to love him and to love others. Like I said earlier, I think sometimes we think that the whole Old Testament was about God's wrath and rules and regulations, but then Jesus is all about mercy. No, the whole Old Testament talks about Jesus and points to Jesus. And so three for us today is from start to finish, the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, has always been about love and the heart. The whole thing. The whole Old Testament. I hope that you will Do a study in the Old Testament because the whole thing leads up to Jesus. It's all about love. It's all about the heart. Um, Some of you guys know that for the last several years, I have been going to the Amazon jungle with Justice and Mercy International. 
And, and some of you who were here last year or last week saw that our national or um, our, our um, director of JMI, Mary Catherine, shared about the crisis that's going on in Manaus. Right now, Manaus is the capital city in the Amazon, and you can Google it, it's just unbelievable that they're, because of the, um, they're ex experiencing an incredible new wave of COVID. They're being overtaken, the hospitals are overtaken, there's no place, there's, they're flying people out. Um, and as a result, they're out of oxygen. So they're out of oxygen tanks. And so the COVID patients need the oxygen, but non-COVID patients who live off of this, uh, um, these oxygen tanks don't have them. And the city is in, is, it's in complete chaos right now. It's dire, people are, are, are dying. There's no oxygen, there's, there's a lack of food and medication, and it's just a disaster. And our, we are our national director, Sarah Rodriguez, is in Manaus, and we had the opportunity to do a Zoom call with her a few days ago, and she was explaining all the things that were going on, but she had gotten an entire list of volunteers, all believers in Jesus Christ, all people who understand that when you love the Lord your God, you will love others even if it costs you your own life, even if you are sacrificing your own life. And they understand that, and so they are out, and they are standing in line all night long trying to get oxygen for people who need it. We're buying oxygen tanks. Um, Sarah's meeting with government officials and literally sacrificing her own life, and not just even her health, but just her sleep, her finances. I mean, this, this woman, Sarah, is one of the most incredible female leaders. I mean, she could be running a corporation and making zillions of dollars anywhere on this globe, and she makes about this much a year because she knows what it means to love God with her whole heart, soul, strength, and mind, and her neighbor as herself. And as a result, there are so many people that are so excited that they get that that's what this whole thing is about, that it's all about Jesus, and it's all about loving others. and. And it's just amazing, last night she texted us a picture of this young girl, the, the girl's got her mask on, and her, you can see her eyes are beaming with happiness and tears because she's been crying and she's holding an oxygen tank that Sarah's team was able to get her and she said that she's bringing it home to her mom. We are invited to love God with everything we have and love others with everything we have, but we will not be able to do it if we do not know how much Jesus loves us. And in the disciple John, in 1 John 4.19, he says that we love God because he first loved us. And I had to realize that as I was working through this passage this week, that one of the, the biggest struggles for me is to really get down to the bottom of it and really understand that Christ loves me so much that to, to grasp, Paul says, that we are to pray that we could grasp the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of his love for us. And when we begin to get that, we will not be able to help but love him back and love others. But if we don't know how much Jesus Christ loves us, if we don't realize what he has done for us and who he is to us, us. We will never have a chance at these two commands. We will never be able to do them by our own strength. And so at the very, very end of the day, we love others because we love God, and we love God because he first loved us. That's it. We love other people because we love God, and we love God because he loves us in Jesus Christ. And that's the good news of this passage. 
Jesus marrying these two laws out of the entire Old Testament and fusing them together and saying that everything hangs on these two. But without Jesus, we can't do it. And without Jesus, we miss the whole thing. And as a church family, I don't want us to miss it. I don't want us, I want us to know this, and I want us to know it inside and out, but I don't want us to know it and not know what it's about. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this day and for this time. Thank you, God, that you have called us to love you. Lord, thank you that you're a relational God, and thank you that you've called us to love others because you care about others. And Lord, would you help us to, to, to walk in both of those because we know how much you love us. God, that is the desire of our heart, to know that you love us. Lord, there's not a person in this room that you do not love and that you do not love all the way to your own death. Lord, thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us and thank you that you always are interceding for us, God. Lord, today, remind us. Remind us, Lord, no matter what's happened to us, no matter what's been done to us, Lord, remind us that you love us and you are for us and you are with us so that we might love you back and love others as we love ourselves. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.